Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. So being a youth and young adult pastor, one of the things that I really like is responsiveness. Um, you knew, thank you for the four people who said woo. Obviously, the rest of you are not familiar with the term responsiveness. Maybe you're new to church. Um, and if you are new to church, welcome. We hope that you feel welcome. We hope this feels like home. Maybe you came because somebody uh, invited you for a child dedication. Maybe your parents dragged you here. Maybe your spouse dragged you here. You're not here by accident. And if you want to know what responsiveness is, like, I grew up Anglican, so, like, you don't speak in church. Like, be quiet. But we believe that when you respond to God's word, there should be an audible, there should be a response in our action, in our voice, in our demeanor. I'll give you two examples. I'll give you one that's spiritual and one that's practical. Because this is church, we should probably do the spiritual one first, right? The spiritual one is this, is in the Bible, there was a man by the name of Jesus. Perhaps you are familiar with him. If you're not, by the end of the service, we hope that you are. And when he was in the earth, his mom's name was Mary. Many of us know this because of nativity plays. Mary had a, 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 or there was somebody else, Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin at the time. And what, what Elizabeth did was she was also pregnant with a son by the name of John who was to be a Baptist. And the Bible says that when Mary went to go visit Elizabeth, she greets Elizabeth. The Bible says that the baby in her womb leapt for joy and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when God's word is preached, the Holy Spirit would cause something inside of us that would cause us to leap for joy, that would cause us to say something and we're responding to the Holy Spirit, not just the words of man. And if you want to jump up, you can jump up. You want to say amen, you can say amen. If you're new to church, follow what other people do to get in the habit of it. <laughs> but choose your timing, okay? Just, just, just follow the leader kind of thing. I remember the first time I came to church, that's how I started worshiping. Grew up Anglican, so like we sang hymns. Now somebody was singing, and it was like this cute girl, so I was trying to impress her. Don't judge me. I was a teenager, and like she raised her hand, so I raised my hand. But then I saw some people raising two hands. So I'm competitive by nature. So I was also raising two hands. Now I understand why we worship, but perhaps you need a church. Just respond to God's word. The more practical one is this. Has anybody fly? Anybody been on a plane before? Or like a road trip, and then your ears get blocked. Who does this to try and raise your hand? See your hand. I see. No, no. We be honest. This is a safe space. Did you know that this is wrong? What doctors say you should do is you should actually chew chewing gum, or you should open your ears. I mean, because it opens your ears. Because when your mouth moves, it forces your ears to be opened. So when you respond spiritually, your mouth is moving, but your ears are open spiritually. So we're going to be responsive, church. Today we're going to take a look at a man by the name of Paul in the Bible. He was one of the disciples, uh, I mean one of the apostles that God used massively in the early church. But here's the thing, our introduction to Paul, he's like gone, he goes by another name, Saul. All the Christians are like, yeah, I know that. Saul is introduced to us as the persecutor of Christians. The Bible actually tells us, Saul himself says, I was very good at killing Christians. That is what he was known for. The Bible, we, we introduced him at Stephen's stoning, and then later, just shortly after that, we see Paul on the, way to the, on the road to Damascus. It was a Missy Elliott song back in the day. 
don't let 90s hip-hop sort of determine your theology. And as he's on the way, remember, he's got the authority of the religious leaders and the rulers of the time to go and persecute more Christians. That's what he's doing. And then Jesus steps in. The Bible says there's this bright light. Saul says, who is it? And Jesus says this, it's I, Jesus Christ, whom you saw are persecuting. Don't forget that when you go to trials and troubles and the church goes to trials and troubles, it's not just an attack on the church or our lives, it's an attack on Jesus and Jesus pays attention to that. And yet as he's going on this journey, as he's on his way to go do more wrong, Jesus steps in. You know what I love about that story? is that Saul becomes Paul. Paul writes most of the New Testament. He becomes a church planter that shapes the New Testament church and our church today. It's such a great example of it's no matter, it doesn't matter how far off we think you are. You're never too far away. You're never too lost. You could come here with bad intentions, but God could turn it around for good and he could change your life when we put our lives in his hands. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. It goes on to, it says this, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Here's the thing, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing for Paul after that. Jesus speaking about Paul, in fact, it's read in the Bible, it says this, he will suffer for my sake. Paul explains it to us in 2 Corinthians when he says this, he's making a defense for himself, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. He paid the price for being a Christian. He understood trials, he understood troubles, and he understood tough situations. And today we're gonna take a look at Paul's first imprisonment. It's found in Acts 16 in the context as Paul is preaching, teaching, starting the church, and there's a woman who has the spirit of divination who's a slave girl. And the Bible says that as Paul is preaching and teaching and doing what he does, she keeps saying, these men are servants of the most high God. Not wrong. But a couple days in, the Bible says Paul being greatly annoyed. Now, if you read the Bible, the disciple who'd most likely be, I don't know, viral for a TikTok video of road rage smashing on someone's window with no avail, would be Peter. Like, Peter was off there. Like, if you don't know, like, read the Bible because you're Christian jokes now. <laughs> read the New Testament, but maybe you want to read New Testament and Old Testament for next week because I don't know what's being preached next week, so cover your bases. But like Peter would like, he cut a man's ear off. He had an argument, who's the greatest disciple? Jesus, is it me? Jesus said pride comes before the fall. Then he denies Jesus. He denies Jesus by swearing. Then he sees Jesus again. He puts his clothes on to jump back in the water. It's messy. Paul is very level-headed. So for Paul to do this, it must have been quite an annoying situation. The Bible tells us that after Paul does this, because the, the, the slave woman's um, owner's could see no profit in her. They had lost their hope for profit. They go to the, the, the lawmakers at the time. They drag Paul and Silas to, to, the, uh, to them, and they say, these men are preaching the wrong gospel, and they begin to attack them, and they build a case against them. This is what we're gonna pick the, the, the story up in Acts 16, verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. I just want to pause here. What you've got to understand is that the Romans at the time believed in corporal punishment. Now, there's many people in this building who, when you went to school, your school believed in corporal punishment. Razors were flying at your head. 
you get canings. Now, I was born in the generation after that. There was no corporal punishment at school. There was at home, though. <laughs> Stay this side, church. I'm just going to say a couple of things. If you know, you know. If you don't know, no, you don't know. Prophet said that once. And it took me a long time to wear slippers. I had a phobia of slippers. <laughs> For a long time. There's no wooden spoons in our house. I once went to a wedding and I didn't have a belt on for my suit. The guy said, the guy said, somebody comes up to me, dude, you look so sloppy, why don't you have a belt? I'm like, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. In the words of Paul, many beatings, many lashings, close to death. The reason I'm telling you this is the, the corporal punishment that the Romans believed in is they didn't stop. In Jewish custom, they would hit you to a certain point, but they would prevent you from dying. The Romans didn't believe in that. When they were beating you, when they were stoning you, they were doing it to kill you. You can understand that the amount of beating that these two men received, they would have been, they would have been in a bad state. And verse 24 goes on to say, having received the orders, they put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26 goes on to say, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Perhaps as we read through that story, you could relate in your own life that your current situation is beating you down. The people around you are attacking you, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's friends of yours. Perhaps your life has, just, has had many blows inflicted, blow after blow after blow. You feel right now that you've been thrown into a prison. Maybe you feel like you, your feet are fastened so you cannot walk out your Christianity or your faith the way that God has intended you to do. Good news for you is this, is I may not know what your prison is, but God does. And perhaps your prison is one of health or finances, relationships. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe like Paul, it's a prison of your own, own making. I might not know what it is, but what I do know is that it's not the end because there's a God who has the final say. And it's not done until God says that it's done. And if you are in a prison today, God wants to get you out. The title of your message today is this, a message for prison. Because if you're not in a prison now, there's a chance that at some point you will be. Because Jesus speaking says, in this world, you will have troubles. And as you take notes, as you make notes today, could I encourage you to make notes? I'm not saying that you're guaranteed to get to heaven. But what I'm saying is stack it in your favor. Let me explain. You see, the Bible describes salvation in three tenses. You were saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are being saved. That's sanctification. That's the process of, you know, walking through life and then you will be saved. I know I was saved, I know that I'm being saved. It's the last one that we gotta worry about. So I like to stack the odds in my favor. Let me give you an example, taking notes in church, great way to stack the odds, I've got a whole app. Get to heaven, uh, it's in the cloud, Jesus. <laughs> I was flying to our Belito campus last week, I was on the plane, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration, the flight left late, but the airline wanted to land on time. You all know the airline. 
The flight took less than 40 minutes from Joburg to Durban. Let me tell you what I did on that plane. Now, I always read the Bible, but this time, I could see that the pilot was making up time. I put my headphones on, I had worship music, I was praying in tongues, and I was reading the Bible. Because if the plane went down, <laughs> and I get to heaven, <laughs> stack the odds in your favor. As some of you, that's all you needed, Leo. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm stacking the odds in my favor. I'm walking around my Bible this week just in case. Let's get serious, church. Acts 16.25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Right after their beating, right after all this happens, the first point in your notes is this in your message for prison, pray. So often it's the first thing to go when we find ourselves in a prison. So often it's the first thing to go when we find ourselves trapped. But what we need to do is we need to find a way to pray despite what it feels like. It is interesting that this was Paul and Silas' first response because I'm willing to bet it's not my first response. After being beaten that severely, after life has taken that much away from me, I don't know that my first response is, yay. Let me sing. Let me pray to God. I think sometimes we think God is like Instagram. When he doesn't come through, when we find ourselves in prison, we block him. You blue tick Jesus. The only person that, 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 that doesn't benefit is ourselves. What we need to do is even when life has beaten us down, even when we feel attacked, even when it's blow after blow, when we find ourselves in prisons or in chains, what we need to do is have the same approach that they did, and it's to go to the throne room of heaven and say, God, please help me in this situation. I need you. And I mean this, I know it's hard. It's not easy. But what's more important is not that I know that it's hard, it's that God knows that it's hard because he's keeping track. Psalm 56 tells us this, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the God that we serve? You've recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I love that story because it tells us this, God doesn't waste anything. And the tears that you've cried are not wasted because God is keeping a record of them. But it's also a reminder that when we are in our low moments, when we're crying, when we've got nothing left to give, that's when we need to call unto God and remind ourselves that he's on our side, that he always hears, that he always answers prayer. We need to keep on praying. God always answers prayers whether we like the answer or not. And prayer isn't just asking God. God is not Jacob 60 or Willie's Dash. Or pick and pay ASAP. I'm trying to cover all of them so I don't get in trouble. There's many different words for prayer in the New Testament and the Old Testament of the Bible. You have to look at the Greek and the, and the Hebrew. In fact, the word used for prayer in this scripture is um, prosukomai. I probably said that wrong if you're Greek. I'm so sorry. Thank you. That word broken up is, it, it, it broken up in two. It says to come toward or to come face to face. So when we pray, there's a picture of first coming face to face with God. And then the second part of that word that makes it complete is to speak consciously and with a definite aim. You see, when we come to God in prayer, what we need to do is we first need to face Him. I think sometimes our prayers are like this, God, I need this, 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 and this, thank you. 
and we walk out the door. No, 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 there's different aspects to prayer, and we can't have a one-dimensional prayer life. We're going to take a look at some other words for prayer. In the Bible, some of us know this, it's to ask God or to petition for something. Jesus speaking says, ask, seek, and knock. We ask God with our mouth, we seek God with our eyes and in his word, and we knock and we do something. Don't pray for a job, but don't send your CV out. God will provide. God's like, well, you need to do something. Another word is supplication. It's where we pray for our own needs. Don't forget to pray for your own needs. And don't only pray for your own needs when you're in a prison. Start praying for your own needs now. I think so often we can pray for other people. I'll pray for you for that. But we need to pray for ourselves. And any need. The Bible tells us this in Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Thanksgiving is important because it reminds us of who God is and it takes the focus off us and puts the focus on Him. And then there's intercession or prayer for other people. This is important because it takes the focus off ourselves. Learn to pray for other people even when you're in a prison. Even when you've got nothing left to give because it takes the focus off ourselves. And learn to celebrate the victories of other people. Because it builds our faith. And don't do that thing that Christians do. Or people do, not just Christians, or people. Somebody has a breakthrough and you're excited for a millisecond and then you turn to God and you say, what about me? Somebody gets a new car, you're like, God, I've still got a Samsung. I've been trusting for an iPhone and... <laughs> Kidding. Maybe you've been single for a long time and somebody comes to church and say, man, I met someone at church. You're like, you never come to church. I've served three services every single week this year. You came to church when you found someone? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the single people said... If somebody said amen and you're single, you look out for those people, you know what I'm saying? It's a pleasure. But we need to genuinely learn to celebrate other people's wins because it builds our faith. It takes the focus off ourselves and it reminds us of the God that we serve, the God who is faithful, the God who comes through for his people, the God whose ear is inclined towards us. There's many different words for prayer in the Bible and I'd encourage you to go and study them. There's another word that's used 37 times in the New Testament. The word is prosuke. It means prayers to appeal to God for his presence. And in a prison and in a challenge and in a tough situation with a bad health diagnosis where we don't see any hope, we don't see any faith, what you need more than your breakthrough is the presence of God in our life. And when we pray, we shouldn't pray just for our stuff or a breakthrough. Say, God, I need, a, I need your presence. Because that's what's going to get me through it. That's what's going to get me to the other side. Prayer needs to become a daily discipline in our life, not just an extra. Not just an extra for crisis or an add-on that we can add. It needs to become a daily discipline. At the beginning of this year, I said, God, I want to pray more. I want you to help me to pray more. Do you know what happened? Nothing. I didn't have a new desire to pray, to, for prayer. So what I did was I got practical. I set reminders on my phone. Because sometimes we need the practical to help us get into the supernatural in our lives. So I have reminders on my phone day in, day out. Set calendar requests if you need to. Find a way to pray because prayer works. God hears, God sees, and God moves when we begin to pray and bring it to Him. Is this helping anyone today? They prayed. 
but they didn't just pray. Because when they prayed and they worshiped, your second point is this. In fact, we'll take a look at the scripture. It's gonna come up. And the prisoners were listening to them. Point number two is this. People are listening. When we go through these moments in life, people are always listening to us. Remember, your life speaks, so even if you don't say something, your actions do. And people are constantly listening to us. It's not just Siri, Amazon, and the algorithm. Although most wives are like, the algorithm gets hints way better than my husband does. But in prisons and in challenges, people want to see what our response is. Because we call ourselves Christians, and as Christians, we're called to live life differently. That means we face trouble differently. We don't have a hopeless approach. We have a faithful approach. So when we face trouble, what do people hear us say? What does our speak sound like? Do we sound the same as everybody else? Do we sound like the world? Do we sound like our friends? Or do we sound different and distinct? Remember, the Bible tells us this, that as Christians, Christ should permeate all areas of our life. The book of Colossians puts it this way. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Not half full, not have enough just to get by to the next week. It needs to fill our lives. Teach and counsel each other with all, wisdom, with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That's what they did. Because Christ had filled their lives, all of their lives, they could sing, they could pray, and they could turn to God. Because Christ permeated their whole life. The Amplified paraphrases it this way. It says, let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you. Dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being. You see, Paul and Silas were in the same prison as the prisoners. But they sounded different to the prisoners. They acted different to the prisoners. There was something distinct about them, and their response was prayer and worship in their dark moments. We can't become so well adjusted to the world that we lose sight of what God wants to do in our life because the world is desperate to hear something different, something other than bad news. And people don't hear how you sound on Sunday. Amen, brother. How are you? Blessed and highly favored. Now, if you mean that, that's great, but here's my question. Do we just have church vocab trying to sound spiritual? Or do we have theology to back that up? Do we have God's word in us so that when trouble comes, we can stand firm on that foundation and nothing else? The Bible tells us, the Bible says that it was about midnight. They were just giving you, like, in like, like, this is the time frame, but there's a principle there. Midnight in the Bible is often this, the darkest time of day. What is our response in our darkest moments? What is our response to the relationship challenges, the health challenges we face? What is our response when, when our, uh, what do we sound like about our spouse or our family or our boss? It's awkward saying that about my boss. But here's the other thing that I want to ask us, is if our whole life speaks, what is it saying? Is it speaking fear or is it speaking faith? Faith doesn't ignore the reality, by the way. It doesn't pretend that the, that the reality doesn't exist. 
Do we speak faith about our country? We don't ignore the realities that we face, but faith says this, it doesn't look to policies, reports, my salary, the different stages of load shedding. What faith says is this, is I don't look to those things, my hope is found in my God. And because he is the living God, because his word is my foundation, I know he's more than able, I know he's gonna do something, I'm gonna keep trusting him. Let your whole life speak to people. And we have to apply God's word in times of trouble. Jesus tells a parable of the wise man and the foolish man. The flood comes to both of them. God doesn't stop the flood or the storm from coming, but he gives us a foundation so that we can stand through this storm and not be put down by this storm. We need to keep trusting God. We need to keep praying, but we need to remember people are listening. Whether they are on your team or not, whether they want you to win or they don't, people are listening. I think what might surprise you is that more often than not, they are banking on you to win, even if they're not Christians, because their freedom, their freedom depends on our response, whether they know it or we know it. That's why our response in times of trouble matter. Our response through prayer, through worship, through God's word. Take a look at what Acts 16, 26 says. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Point number three is this, everyone benefits. The prison that you're in could benefit somebody else. You see, the scripture is quite surprising because it says, you know, everyone's bonds became unfastened. Not just Paul and Silas, not just the believers, not just the people who were nice to Paul, everyone's. Don't be surprised if other people benefit because of our right response to trials and to prisons and to circumstances. What we do in, pr- in prison matters. What we do in these situations matter. Our response in faith, our prayer, our worship, it all matters to other people and to God because not only do we get through it, so do other people. Other people's breakthroughs and freedoms are found in it. That's why your response is important. Never forget that God is working through us for his glory. Don't give up now. As we continue, as we get to the next point, I just want to encourage you, don't stop. Not only are other people, do other people benefit, but our last point is this, it's bigger than you. And that should scare you, but get you excited at the same time, because it's bigger than you. As you write that point, I noticed there was an earthquake. I'm like a South African. It's like, I know earthquakes. Now. I lived through it. Technically, I slept through it. But I was there. It's quite crazy living in South Africa. Cyclones, earthquakes, snow. 2020, what a year. It's like an app update. I remember once, like, when I was much younger, I had a family member. Some of you've got life, life is too easy for you. Back when I was your age, has anybody heard that back when I was your age? Anybody said that and you realized as you said it, you're like, no, man. So back when I was your age, I used to walk to school without my shoes and I'm like, nobody asked you to take your shoes off. You made that decision all on your own. No, the reason I took it off was because I used to walk to school in the snow. I'm like, we live in South Africa, dude. And this is before 2023, so it was a while ago. And you live in Durban. They don't have winter. Like, 
Stop just doing earthquakes. My wife woke me up. She said, did you hear that? Did you feel that? I was like, I can just hear you speaking. Good night. <laughs> so what she said, at least now I know that in a time of trouble, all you'll do is sleep. I'm like, Jesus slept in a storm. Maybe it's spiritual. <laughs> Learn to use your, this, the Bible in argument. Don't do that. It's terrible marriage advice. But this earthquake happens and the ground begins to shape, shake. The doors open, chains fall off. I don't run like physically, like it, it's not my thing. But I was in prison. There was an earthquake. The doors open. We best believe I'll be like Hussein Bolt straight out of that door, <laughs> faster than, I don't know. I don't. Nobody ran. How do I know this? Because later on in that scripture, you can read it at home. But the Bible says that the jailer wakes up turns the lights, well, lights a torch, but turns the lights on, and he sees that the prisoners have left. So he takes his sword, and he's about to, to kill himself. reason he did that was because in Roman law, if you let a prisoner go, their sentence became your sentence. He would be liable for death. When Paul sees this in Acts 16, verse 28, it says, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do, do not harm yourself, for we are all now, this might surprise some people that they didn't get out of prison yet. But not every open door is one that we should go through. God wants us to respond and not look for opportunities for good, but say, actually, I don't want a good opportunity. I want a God opportunity. God, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in this prison? Because I believe that it's bigger than me that there must be purpose at the end of it. And it might be hard sometimes. Notice that there was an earthquake. That's not an easy thing to go through, unless you mean you sleep through it. But sometimes when the foundations of our lives are shaking, it's because God is opening chains and opening doors so that we could step through them or we could learn from them. And what Paul had to do is, is a hard thing. Remember, this jailer kept them in prison. If this was Peter, he would have been like, yeah, what's he's gonna... But Paul sees this man and he stops him. Not only did this jailer keep him in prison, remember earlier we read that they were beat and that they were hit with rods? Do you know who would have taken part in that? The jailer. And yet Paul's response in this moment is not to attack him. Why? Have I told you Paul's history? He was the persecutor of Christians who then became a believer. And in that moment before, when he saw this man ready to take his life, Paul probably saw a glimpse of himself. I know exactly where you've been. And that grace that God gave me made me a brand new person. So maybe I need to, instead of trying to get vengeance, give the grace of God to you. Some of us are in prisons and the people that are keeping us there is an opportunity for us to extend the grace that God gives us. Not because we have, not because we're amazing people, but because we've received grace. And if you've received grace, the Bible says you can give the grace of God because never forget what God has forgiven us for. It shows us that we have grown. It's Nelson Mandela month. Look at this quote about prison. He said, there's nothing like returning to a place that remains unchanged to find the way in which you yourself have altered. Some of the prisons you're gonna look back on and say, that looks the same, but I look different because I extended the grace and the love and the kindness of God despite what I was feeling like. Watch what happens though with the jailer. The jailer takes him to his home in Acts 16, 33. It says, and he took them the same hour 
of the night and washed their wounds, and he, bap- and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. The instrument that was used to keep them in prison became the thing that God used to restore them, to feed them, to put them back on their feet, and to set them on their way. And what God is doing inside of you, the thing that might be holding you back, God can use it to mend you, to strengthen you, to grow you so that you can step out because it's so much bigger than you. Because right after this, we get the start of the church of the Philippians. Paul at this point is, is, is in a town called Philippi. It was a capital city. Acts, 40 to, Acts 16, 40 tells us, so when they went out of prison, they visited Lydia. Lydia was like a high-end fashion lady, like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, she was there before the time. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. This is the church of the Thessalonians. The first convert, converts were Lydia, a slave girl who the world had no use for, but God had purpose for. God had a plan for and God wanted to use and a jailer and his family. Notice that Paul didn't just save the jailer, but he also, what he did was he affected the next generation of that family. Generations would be saved if we understand that it's bigger than us. And because of that church in the Philippians, we have the church that we have today. We have the writings of Paul that we learn so much from, but it started at this point. Maybe the point of the story is on a prison break. Maybe there's more to this than just getting out of prison. In fact, take a look at what Acts 16 verse 35 says. It says this, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. I need to explain something about the scripture to you. The magistrate didn't know that Paul and Silas had broken out of prison because if they did, they wouldn't have been looking for Paul and Silas. They would have been looking for the jailer. When they send word, it's not weeks It's not months, it's not years later, it's hours later. It's later that day. It was at midnight that they had this worship moment and they got out. God knew, because God has foreknowledge. God wasn't surprised that they were getting out. God didn't let them out of prison and be like, oh, I didn't didn't know that. God knows when you're getting out. God knows that you're getting out. And maybe, just maybe, the point of this story is, yes, the salvation of the jailer and his family and the beginning of a church, but maybe, just maybe, the point of the story is this, is that the prison that you are in right now, it's not about getting out, but it's about getting out something that is inside of you that is far greater, that is far bigger, that is more impactful, that could change this country, that could change the history, and that could change the world. What we need to do is... We can't stop trusting God. We can't stop looking, looking at, the, at the change. But we need to say, God, I know it's hard. God, I feel like I've got nothing left. But God, I know you're good. God, I know that you are more than able. God, I know that I can't do this on my own strength. And perhaps it's not about getting out of the prison because when you get out of prison, Yes, there's a testimony there, but if, you can, if God can get something out of you in prison, it's something that you can use in your life day in, day out, week in, week out for the glory of God that is so much bigger than you.
That's how we can't afford to lose our worship. That's how this verse started, right? Paul and Silas at midnight in a prison, beat up, wrongfully accused, chained up in a prison. And perhaps that's you right now. You're lost in it. Maybe you just need reminding of the goodness of God. But worship is important. Verse 25 says, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. The question I have for you is what do you sing when you have nothing left? What do you sing when perhaps you've started forgetting that there's a God that's working all things together for good. What do I do when I don't have anything left inside of me? What do I do when I feel like I've got nothing else? Just sing. What if I can't sing loud? Sing quietly. What if I can't shout out? Begin to say it in your heart. What if I don't know what to pray? Pray in tongues. Cry out to God. Just say, you know what's a really good prayer? God, help. You see, we point as preaching a message, but not actually having an, an opportunity to apply it in our lives. And perhaps right now you find yourselves in a prison, beat up, chained up. God is more than able. Perhaps in this message, you got a sense of God's want to do something in your life. Do you know where God works is when we worship? Just can I encourage you to stand to your feet? Service isn't done. We've still got one more point in the message. Perhaps you've forgotten. Perhaps you've gotten familiar. Perhaps you've lost sight of God. But God's more than able. God is for us. He's not holding a grudge against us. He wants to help us, but it requires us going to Him. Let's come wherever you are. Let's worship Him today. Let's stretch out our hands. Let's let the Holy Spirit minister. If you need to cry, you can cry. You need to have a moment with God. You can have a moment with God. But let this be your breakthrough moment. Ask God what He's trying to get out of you. Come on, let's worship Him today. When did I start to forget all of the great things you did? When did I go away faithfully impossible? How did I start to believe you were sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? Sing you one more. You are more than
If you believe that, lift up a shout of praise today. That God's breaking chains, that He's doing the miraculous, that this isn't the end of the story, but He's bringing something out of us here today. And you this attitude of faith. Can we pray for those people in prisons? Can we pray for those chains to be broken, for the anxiety to go, for the depression to go, for the addiction to be broken? Doesn't matter what people have done to you, God's got a plan and a purpose for you. Come on, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here, that your presence is real. Holy Spirit, come and minister to every single person here where there's a hurt that you'd bring healing, where there's confusion, you'd bring counsel, where there's pain, you'd bring comfort, Father. We pray right now, Lord, that you begin to open up the doors. You begin to let, the, let those chains fall off us, not in a way that would cause us to run out, but in a way that would cause something to come out of us, something to grow us, something to do something, something that would be great in our lives, that there would be purpose at the end of us, that you'd reveal calling to people here today, Father God, that we would step out of this service knowing that we have been forever and significantly changed in the name of Jesus, and everyone who believed it said, amen and amen. I believe the chains have already been broken, but God's still getting something out. You know, I told you, I've still got one more point left in the message, you don't go. When they go to the jailer, the jailer's about to stab himself, and they say to him, no, 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 everyone's here. Be easy. You know what the jailer's response is? Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This tells me that the jailer had known something about these Christians because he uses the word saved. Saved from what? Well, our sin and our guilt and our shame, but for a plan and a purpose. And then he wants this, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And today, perhaps you've come into this place, not a believer. Perhaps somebody dragged you in here. Perhaps you came because you were at your wit's end and you had nothing left to give. But you heard other people singing. You heard other people praying. And you felt that something was shaken in your life, that the chains have come off. That's the Holy Spirit working. 
We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.